Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast, episode number 18. In today's episode, I'll be teaching you how to earn 6, 8, 16 or more interest on your savings. And lean on me, high interest government secured rates in a low interest world. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast. Join Ron Bouchard as he casts a wide net sharing his philosophy of life, business, and success, and goes fishing for wisdom in interviews with other entrepreneurs, authors, and thought leaders. You'll hear their stories of triumph and tribulation. If you're an aspiring entrepreneur trying to succeed outside the confines of the current of social expectation, bring the bait and join us for Gone Fishing. Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast. I'm your... No, your computer is working just fine. I have infiltrated the Gone Fishing Podcast this week. Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast. My name is Antonio Seal. I'll be assuming the mighty mantle. If you were to look around today for places to place your money that would pay a decent percentage of interest, you would find it hard to find any. The average saving rate is between 0.01% and 0.60%. The reasonable weighted average yield for a low-risk diversified bond portfolio is in the neighborhood of 3%. And the long-term expected rate of return from stocks is 45 to 7.5%. So where can you find a source that pays not only a decent rate of 8, 16, or up to 50%, but is also secured by the government? Today's guest is here to answer that question. He's a serial entrepreneur who has built multiple businesses from the ground up. He holds a degree in milieu therapy, a certified life coach through Robin Madonna's training, is an experienced real estate investor and educator, certified maths appraiser with three distinct certifications from the International Association of Assessing Officers in Residential Condominium and Commercial Tax Assessment, and a licensed real estate broker and instructor in the state of Massachusetts. He has worked as a coach, appraiser, tax assessor, real estate broker, manager of the largest real estate investors group in Massachusetts, and real estate instructor who has taught classes in real estate agency, real estate salesperson, licensure, foreclosure investing, property appraisal, and principles of personal success. Please welcome owner of Avion Realty, president, founder of Waypoint Mastermind, and host of the Gone Fishing Podcast, Ron Bouchard. How are you doing, Ron? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Now, Ron, how does it feel being on the other side of the table? Um, a little a little odd, um, but I thought it was very important that people understood and got to know me because I've always been on the other side of the table interviewing other people. And even though I've gone in detail a lot about my philosophy, I think it's important that people understand or get a teaching directly from me. Um, so, now, Ron, I've been hearing a lot about um, tax liens, tax liens, tax liens. 
And I wanted some more clarity on knowing what tax needs are and things of that nature. So can you help me out with that, Ron? What are tax liens? Well, I'm glad you asked. But um, in order to really get into what a tax lien is, we need to start talking about the basis uh, municipal taxation. So how is it that a city or town has the right to tax? I mean, where does that come from? And how where that where the idea of taxation come from? So the basis of taxation at the municipal uh, at the municipal level has been land since the colonial period, um, and this heritage comes from England, where over five hundred years ago the measure of personal wealth was, to a large extent, based on an individual's agricultural holdings. So the more agricultural holdings you had, the wealthier you were. Now, consequently, assessing someone's land holdings before, um, that was a reasonable way. I mean, prior to that, they used to tax people on their heads. It was a head rate. So everyone would be taxed equally just for living. Mm-hmm. But then they decided to change it over to what we call ad valorem taxation, where you were taxed basically on the value of your holdings. So in England, they used to tax you on the value of your holdings, and usually the more agricultural land you had, the, the wealthier you were. And and at the time, it was pretty reasonable to, to assume that. But now, it's not as reasonable to assume that if you own property, you are wealthy. So a lot of people own property, mm-hmm. you know, they're just squeaking by. But that's where taxation is based. So, and obviously you know that when you charge taxes, you're primarily charging um, taxes to pay for the necessities from the government. The government's primary job is to protect its citizens. So, you know, we have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the government is charged with ensuring that we have the ability to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And as such, many towns and cities um, tax so they can fund the teachers, the police, the fire departments, the public works, trash pickup, you know, any other services that you you rely on uh, on a weekly basis, sometimes a daily basis. Now, in order to, to assess those taxes, they come up with a tax levy or a budget, and they figure out what they need, and they divide it by the taxable base or the taxable value, and they come up with a rate. And then they charge individual um, properties based on that rate mm-hmm. so that homeowners or, or property owners, not necessarily homeowners, pay a share of that levy. And some cities and towns don't charge all of their or get all of their levy from property taxes, but some rely heavily on property taxes for the majority of that funding. So if a property owner defaults on said taxes, then the the city's in a in a bind because it can't make the payments to the fire department, the police department. So what does it do? So every city and town throughout the United States has a different process to which they can collect taxes. But um, by and large, what they do is they issue a lien on a property. 
And a lien is nothing more than an encumbrance, like your mortgage, very much like your mortgage. Okay. So you have mortgages, you have mechanics liens, which can come from from um, contractors. Mm-hmm. If a contractor were to do, do work on your house and you didn't pay them, they can put a lien on your property so that anytime you tried to sell that property, you would have to pay them off. Well, same thing with a tax agency, taxing agency, either the IRS or the or the local taxes. If you don't pay your taxes, they can put a lien against your property. Yeah. Now, the difference with property taxes, property taxes are very special. And that's because generally when you have liens on your property, the primary lien is going to be your mortgage, right? Mm. So when you buy a property, you, you get a mortgage, and that's your primary debt on the property. If you get some work done to your property, then and you don't pay that contractor, then they'll issue a mechanics lien. Every lien thereafter becomes a junior lien to the mortgage. Right. And these liens make it so that if you don't pay your bill, they can take your property in the in the instances of mortgages. Or if you didn't pay somebody, they can put a lien on your property so that when you do sell your property, they can collect first before you. Does that make sense? Yes, it actually does. So Ron, who conducts tax lien sales? And can you buy them in all 50 states? Well, if you were to buy a tax lien um, or tax deed, you would go to the treasurer, the county treasurer, or the city treasurer, assessor, or tax collector, and they would hold a sale, an auction. Mm-hmm. And you can buy some um, form of lien in all 50 states, but in 21 of the states, they're actually called tax lien certificates, and the other states, the other 29 states, are tax deeds. And they they differ quite substantially. But there's also some states that have hybrids, the hybrids mm-hmm. that are a mixture of the tax liens and tax deeds. You can buy both tax liens and tax deeds in that state. Mm-hmm. And other states that are redemption deed states, where they'll sell you a deed, but the owner has a certain amount of time where they can redeem or pay off that debt even after you purchase the property and they can get the property back. Mm-hmm. So you can see if you buy a property, and, and that's what tax deed does, you buy, you can buy the, the property at tax deed auction. So let's say you bought it in, in Alabama, for instance. You'd buy a property in Alabama and they have a three-year redemption period. So you have to essentially wait three years before you do anything to the property because if they come back in year two and a half after you've completed all the renovations, they can go and they can pay the county what is owed to you and get the property back. Mm -hmm. Except for they're not going to be paying you for the renovations you made. So you you got to tread lightly on on that, but we'll talk more about a tax deed specifically in a, a little while. Yeah, it seems that tax deeds are more. You need to move more cautious with tax deed versus having a tax lien. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think all beginning investors need to start with tax liens because ultimately what we're looking for is we're looking for the interest rate. Yeah. But as you'll see, there's a way you can get the property back mm-hmm. for, for very little money, for pennies on the dollar. Yeah. And that should excite everyone, but you don't want to jump into that, that strategy until you're a little bit more seasoned. Mm. And to know our area, and to know our area really well, you know, before you move move forward. Well, you should only be buying in areas that you know well. And if you don't know an area well, mm-hmm. you should investigate. I mean, for in New England, the property values here are crazy. Mm. They're really high. But if you go to other states, property values could be a third of the price. And that could be the normal average price of a property. But for us, we think it's a great deal. Because compared to what we pay here for a piece of property, it is a good deal. But in the locality that those properties are located in, it's not a good deal. Mm. So we have to be very careful to judge states based on on the merits of its own state. And that takes a little time to do some market analysis and research to figure out the viability of investing in a certain area. Mm. Do you do diligence? That's what you say. Yes. Yeah. Do you do diligence? Because it's caveat emptors. Let the buyer beware. Yeah, be aware. That's right. Indeed. So, Ron, what are the interest rates, and what happens if the delinquent owner pays the taxes? Well, in um, some states, mm-hmm. the interest rates are as low as six percent, like in Alabama. They, the tax lien in Alabama is six percent, and there's a three-year redemption period. So, I, I kind of mm-hmm. want to stay away from Alabama. Um, other states. <laughs> have a 10% interest rate, like in Georgia. But some, like Massachusetts and Rhode Island, have 16% interest rates. Mm -hmm. And they go up from there. We have Illinois that's got a 18% interest rate. And Illinois, by the way, has an 18% interest rate for six months. So... If a homeowner redeems their tax lien in the first six months that you purchase the tax lien, they have to pay 18%. Right. If they redeem it after month six, they have to pay another 18%. So it's 30%, 36% interest on their taxes. Mm. And that makes them want to pay. <laughs> You know, if you if you know that you're going to have to pay 36% interest if you don't pay your taxes, you're going to come up with a way to pay your taxes. That's right. That's how it's sounding, yep. So as you can see, tax lien investing can be very lucrative as far as interest rates are concerned. And you can't get 50% interest anywhere. Do you know of another place you can get 50% interest rate? I don't. And as far as, you know, the owners paying off their taxes, you want them to pay off their taxes. But here's why I was talking to you earlier about um, the fact that the position of the tax lien is in first position. Because if if whatever's in first position gets paid first, but in the instance of tax liens, when the tax lien is not paid, when the tax lien is paid, everything's great. But if it's not paid, all the other liens, everything behind it gets wiped out. Mm. which means 
a property can actually be had for the back taxes. Okay. And they know that. So if you're the mortgage company, you're going to make sure those taxes are paid. Mm. So even if I don't get paid from the owner, chances are I'm going to get paid by the by the yeah. um, the mortgage company. Okay. And if not, then we can foreclose. But the the that happens in very rare circumstances, probably one percent of the time in tax lien states where you're going to be able to foreclose. The vast majority of the time, it's either going to be paid by the homeowner or paid by the the mortgage company. There are some instances where nobody's going to pay the taxes, though, and that's for junk land. I think you and I were talking about land the other day and how um, there's a lot of land being sold very cheap all across the country, but nobody wants it because it's either landlocked or there's no services. There's no, um, there's no water service to the property. There's no electrical service to the property. There's no sewage or septic service to the property. And that should be a red flag, though. I mean, the question would be, like, why no one wants this land? You know, that should be the first question you ask. Yeah, so there's some properties that are called over-the-counter properties mm-hmm. or over-the-counter areas. Like in Alabama, it's an over-the-counter state. Uh, Colorado is an over-the-counter state. Um, let me see. We have Mississippi is an over-the-counter state. Mm-hmm. So any one of these over-the-counter, over-the-counter states, after the auction is completed, you can actually go to the municipality and get a list of all the taxes that have not been paid. And you can buy a tax lien certificate after the auction. Mm-hmm. Um, but by and large, what you're going to find on the on the paperwork is the vast majority of them on the over-the-counter lists are land, raw land. Mm-hmm. Now, if you know the raw, the raw piece of land that you're purchasing, great. But if you don't know the area and you don't know the value of the land, caveat emptor. Mm-hmm. Let the buyer beware. What if it's swamp land? It's pretty bad. Well, yeah, because you have environmental regulations on swampland. You can't pretty much do anything with a with a property that has a swampland. Yeah. It's protected land. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be paying every single month, I mean, every single year, you're going to be paying your own property taxes for a property that you can do nothing with. So you could own a piece of Idaho, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Idaho swampland. But what the good is that going to do for you? It's not going to do anything good for you. I don't know. You could try just, uh, fishing. <laughs> yeah i think that's a little restricted i think that's a restricted use of the land (laughs) so ron who can buy these properties and are there limits to the number you can buy there are limits to who can buy these properties so the barrier to entry is really steep so you have to have a driver's license or some type of identification to prove that you are who you say you are. So far, are you with me? Mm-hmm. It gets worse than that. You have to be over the age of 18. Okay. And, you, and you have to be able to sign your name. Of course, you need to also have cash with you. that will take personal checks. But those are pretty much the four barriers to entry. Mm-hmm. So pretty much anybody can buy all these tax deeds. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, no. and there's no limit to the number you can buy in most municipalities. Some will limit you, mm. and mm. some municipalities can kick you out 
if you, like in Texas, if you go to Texas and you bid on the property and you have 30 minutes to, to pay the, the tax bill. So you need to have the cash with you. They don't accept personal checks. So you need to have the exact amount. So which means you either have a, have a suitcase full of cash with you, which is frowned upon. You kind of look suspicious carrying around a suitcase full of cash, but anyway. As we see on the movies, you know, the, the, that narrative. Yeah. Know. Otherwise, you have to go to a bank nearby in a short amount of time and get a, a bank check yeah. for the exact amount. And you have 30 minutes to get that bank check back. Otherwise, you get fined a penalty. You're not allowed to buy that property. And not only are you not allowed to buy that property, you're forbidden from buying future properties. So Texas is kind of very strict, but they're also paying 50% interest. So they don't they don't mess around in Texas. Yeah, you got to consider that. <laughs> <laughs> so Ron, what are the risks of having um, tax liens and you know investing in tax liens and deeds and things of this nature? Well, I think that the primary risk is that there's you're buying a property that's not marketable, that nobody wants. That's the primary risk. So when you're buying a piece of property, the tax lead or tax deed, and tax liens are actually more forgiving than tax deeds are, you want mm. to make sure that there's actually a property on there, preferably a single-family home that people okay. live in. And you want to make sure that that home that's on that property is worth a lot more than than the tax lien and tax deed, which in 95% of the cases – that's the way it is. It's a, it should be easy to find a property that matches that criteria. Mm-hmm. But you just got to be careful. You got to make sure that the value of the property that's on the land is worth it should you have to foreclose. Right. Because if nobody wants to pay the tax bill and you have to take it back, what are you going to do with the property that nobody wants? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's the risk right there. I mean, within everything, there's risk, you know. So how can you buy them? I mean, how could you go about buying these liens? Well, there's multiple ways you can buy them, and and, and they happen every day um, throughout the United States. Some counties hold them monthly. Some counties hold them on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. Some only hold them live and in person. And some hold them online. And like we mentioned earlier, some of the counties, you can buy them over the counter after the sale. So you just got to get really familiar with the city or town that you're interested or the state that you're interested in purchasing in Mm -hmm. and find out how they handle their tax sales. And most of that information is available right online. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you mentioned earlier tax deeds. What's the difference? Well, like I said, a tax lien, when you buy a tax lien, when you pay a tax lien, you're not buying the property. What you're doing is you're buying a a position or a lien position in a piece of property, which means that the homeowner has to pay you at some point if they want to keep their property. So you're stepping into the municipality's shoes, Mm -hmm. and you're getting the benefit of being a municipality and being able to tax get uh, interest on your money of 16% like the county is, Mm -hmm. and the county gets the benefit of getting the money now so they can pay their bills. Mm -hmm. 
you know, sometimes the counties have millions and millions of dollars of unpaid taxes in a year. That could really hurt them. Yeah. And then if you add on top of it a, a tough snow year where the budget is already difficult, it could really put some pressure on the municipality. Mm. So you're doing a favor to the to the um, municipality by helping them out, and in return you're going to get their interest rate. And you're really not affecting the homeowner at all because the homeowner would have to do this regardless of whether or not you stepped in. Mm-hmm. All you're doing is stepping into the county's position, and you won't have any contact with a homeowner at all. Mm-hmm. So they, they won't even know who you are. That's, that's pretty cool. Pretty yeah. Cool. So um, what's the highest percentage have you seen that anyone got in a tax deed or lien? Well, I'd say 50%, but you were talking about what the difference is between tax lien and tax deeds. Mm. And a tax lien, like I was telling you, is you're buying pretty much a equitable position in the property. Right. Where a tax deed, you're not buying an equitable position in the property. You're buying the property. Mm. So one, you're buying the property outright, and the other one, you're buying a lien position in the property so you can make the interest. Mm-hmm. Where Texas is a tax deed state, so you'd buy the property for the back taxes, and should the homeowner come in within six months after the tax sale, then you would get your interest rate of 25%. If they come in any time after that, it's 50%. Mm-hmm. So it's quite a bit of interest, but that is a, um, that's the problem with Texas. It's a redemption state. So your deed, you have to wait between six months and two years before you can do anything with the property because they can redeem it. Mm-hmm. But if they redeem it within six months, you get 25%. If they redeem it within you know, a year, you get 50%. And if you they redeem it in two years, you get 100% of your money back. It's just some, you know, these numbers, this is some big um, percentages annually. I mean, this could change a lot of lives. They can, and they can very start very small. So mm. one of the benefits of tax lien investing is you can start with 300 bucks, 50 bucks even. I've seen some tax bills for $11. But you're not going to want to buy a tax lien for $11 and then we'll have to wait a year for interest on $11. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not worth it. But if you start saving money, like we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, you start putting 10% of your money away, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the year, you take that 10% and you put it into tax liens. That money can grow rather quickly, especially if you're putting into places like Texas or Illinois. Mm-hmm. We're talking major, major growth. I've heard about about individuals getting million dollar houses f- for just a thousand dollars. I probably wouldn't say that you would ever get a million dollar property for a thousand dollars. I would say probably more like a hundred thousand dollars or more. Mm. But the difference is it's going to be a substantial savings. Now, when you start taking tax deeds into consideration here, the benefit of tax deed, if you're buying a property and you're buying it for the back taxes, or and not every state does that. Some mm-hmm. states will have you bid at auction. Right. So you can get it for 70% off of the market value. So if the property's worth, you know, let's say $200,000, you can get it for mm-hmm. – of that $200,000, which for an investor is okay, but 
and I'll show you how to make you can make money from that aspect as yeah. well. But so not all tax liens or tax deeds are as simple as just paying the back taxes. Right. Okay. So some states have you bid up from the market value. Some have you bid down. So it all depends on the municipality. You've got to really be comfortable with the city or town that you're, or the municipality that you're, you're investing in. You've got to know the rules. And all mm-hmm. that stuff is available online. It's just going to take a lot of studying. You have mm-hmm. to decide first whether or not you want to do tax lien, tax deed, and then you want to start figuring out the interest rates of each one of them and the pros and cons of each of each uh, municipality. Must like, be clear on what, what you want. What do you want? <laughs> yeah. Now, if yeah. you're small, starting out, you can start with Indiana because it take less than $3,000, you can get a tax lien mm. very, very easily in Indiana. And in Tennessee, you can get tax lien between five dollars and $8,000. Mm. Um, there were some that were smaller, but they were vacant land. And Louisiana, it's probably eight to $15,000. And they go up. I mean, California... Expect to bring a hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> so <laughs> it all depends on where you're going to. Yeah, but the benefit of a tax deed is if if you're buying property for substantially less pennies on the dollar, you can take that property, put it back on the market, and you can make the differential between what the property, what you bought it for, and what it's worth, and pocket it. Sometimes it needs some some work. So you can actually increase the market value by bringing it up to marketable standard or above and selling it, making more profit. Or you can sell it, resell it to an investor at wholesale, make a couple of thousand dollars that way. Mm. You can also rent it out. So you can get some tenant income or you can do a lease option purchase. The sky's the limit as far as the number of ways you can make money from a property that you own. The only caution I would say as far as tax deeds are concerned is my, one of my rules for, as an investor is if you're going to buy a property to flip it or you're going to buy a property to hold it, you want to make sure it's within a half an hour driving distance of your house because right. you want yeah. you really want to be on top of your properties. You don't mm-hmm. want to be um, micromanaging them from afar because you can't really see what's going on. In fact, of all the real estate investment deals I've ever had, there's only one that's gone south. And that one that went south, and the primary reason why it went south, it's because it was outside of my convenient ability to travel to it regularly. Yeah. So I had to move the, the sun, moon, and stars to be able to get to the property because it was out of my way, and I had to. it would interrupt my, my work schedule, my family schedule. So I had other people managing the basic uh, day-to-day operations of the property, mm-hmm. and that property ended up with a loss. It's the only property I've ever owned that ended up with a loss. But Everything that could go wrong did go wrong on that property. And I blame that primarily on the fact that I violated one of my own rules. I purchased a property more than, you know, um, 30 minutes away from my house. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. In our state, there's five or six towns that do uh, tax liens. Neighboring state, Rhode Island, does tax deeds. Mm -hmm. Uh, Connecticut does them. New Hampshire does them. Maine does them. So in New England, we have plenty of areas in our vicinity that do offer tax liens or tax deeds. So there's plenty for us to see in driving distance from from where we live. Mm-hmm. But if you want bigger returns like Illinois and Texas, 
you have to be willing to to take that risk and to to purchase properties in in that area. Mm. Now, I'd prefer to purchase a tax lien in a state that's further away than I would probably a tax deed. Because the tax deed is going to have substantially more work that's going to be needed to be involved. You're going to have to be on top of that every single day. Right. Um, you're going to have to check on it. You're going to have to do some renovations, or you're going to have to find buyers. You're going to be having to, you know, just take a look at it. Make sure that it's it's not freezing if it's in a cold climate. Uh, you just want to be able to look into that, look at that property. Make sure nobody's stealing the the pipes. Make sure nobody's stealing the copper. Yeah, nobody's squatting. Yeah. So there's a lot of pros and cons to tax deeds, but if they're local, you can certainly get a handle on it. I mean, if they're further away, you can also hire somebody like a realtor or a property management company to manage these properties. Mm-hmm. But like I said, you should start with tax liens, get really comfortable with that, and then you can move over to tax deeds. Indeed. Indeed. Got bigger fish to fry. <laughs> bigger fish. Yeah, there's also another uh, option which um, I wanted to touch on, and that option is is little known. Um, and it's kind of like there's a there's a lot of opportunities for this all around the country, but the opportunity is if you know that a property has been foreclosed on in a tax deed sale mm-hmm. by by law, in most states. The government cannot keep the excess. So if you have a $2,000 tax um, tax sale, so in other words, I foreclosed on your property for your $2,000 of back taxes, mm-hmm. and then you auction it off and you get $150,000 for the property, mm-hmm. where does that money go? The city was only owed 2000 yet they got 150000 Where's the money go? Well, that's exactly how everyone else feels. They have no idea, <laughs> including, including the homeowner who's lost the house. But the answer is that other money belongs or is owed to the homeowner. Mm. So that means $148,000 belongs to the homeowner, and the homeowner does not know about it. And depending on the time frame that lapses, the homeowner could be without the ability to recover that money. Some states, it's five years. So if the homeowner does not make any attempt to collect that money within five years, they lose it. So there's a major opportunity for people who know how to go about informing these homeowners. You can get 30% commission by informing the homeowners you know, because some of them, let's say it's year four, they have no no idea, no intention of 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 claiming it. So, would they rather get ninety thousand dollars or nothing? So, you might collect forty thousand dollars, and they get ninety, or they get might get a hundred, and you get forty. On the other example, forty eight thousand, you may get forty two thousand, and they get the rest. But I think they would be very, very happy to get the money that's owed to them. Yeah. And it's not just a matter of you informing them. It's you helping them to collect it as well, filling out the right paperwork, getting the the right paperwork again on time. And you can make a full-time income from 
from just doing that. Yeah. So tax deeds have a lot, and tax liens have a lot of opportunity involved. Mm-hmm. And some people start starting out could start out with that route. You could just make money first by introducing people to the money that they're owed, mm-hmm. build up some cash and capital, and then use it to buy properties. Now, what if you go to a tax auction and you bid on a property? Well, you get to buy that property, right? Mm-hmm. But you also know something else. You know how much you paid for it, and you know how much the taxes were owed. That's right. So you can also go after the homeowner and tell them that they're owed money and take a commission from that too. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so <laughs> it all depends on how you want to deal with foreclosures, I mean the tax foreclosures, and how you want to deal with, with the opportunity that you have in front of you. Mm -hmm. This this is pretty interesting. Most people don't know about it, and that's why in Waypoint, we've decided to open up a mastermind group, and it's going to be starting in January, along with um, we have nine mastermind groups starting um, within the the first couple of months of the new year, and the first three are um, tax lien, um, real estate, investing and we have a mindset of foundations purpose life purpose um, success coaching kind of mastermind so those three masterminds will be beginning sometime in the beginning of the year and they can go to website waypointmastermind.com and they can learn more information and even sign up to be part of it because as you know the the spaces are limited we're going to be limiting each group to eight eight people mm-hmm and um, some group already have um, space taken. So this is going to be a big hit. Um, and as you know, I spoke to a couple of other people who've been in, who I'm in masterminds with, mm-hmm. and they're thinking that this mastermind's worth three hundred fifty dollars a month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of and course, maybe, we don't charge anywhere near that. But yeah, yeah, yep. We just want everyone get in and, and you know yeah. get value. Yeah. Well, we work, you know, work well with people, you know. And if they join one mastermind, they automatically get access to the other mastermind. So essentially all you have to do is join one. It's forty nine ninety nine a month. And they get access to all these mastermind groups. And these mastermind groups are different than everybody else's mastermind groups because the mastermind group has a facilitator. You know, a lot of mastermind groups I'm part of anger me because – I go into the mastermind group and either the people show up or they don't show up. And then when we have a question, we're asking the people in the room who are all trying to get to the same um, same goal, mm-hmm. but we don't have an expert in the room. Mm-hmm. We're trying to learn from each other, but what if there's no expert in the room? So in each one of our mastermind groups, one of the things that makes us different is our facilitator is also an expert in the area that they're going to be facilitating. Right. So... And I'm really yeah. excited about that. Oh, yeah. I am also. Now, Ron, I've heard you ask your guests, what is your favorite aspect of being an entrepreneur? So, Ron, what is your favorite aspect of being an entrepreneur? My favorite aspect of being an entrepreneur is my flexibility. The fact that I get to live my life on purpose. I get to live my life as I design it. And mm-hmm. nobody can tell me otherwise. I don't, I don't answer to anyone else. So I get to do that which I was designed to do. 
and I get to do it every day. So that, that's why I say my favorite aspect of being an entrepreneur is being able to live life by my design. I like that. Live life by yep. design. And if I design it to be a mess, it'll be a mess, but it'll be my mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as you know, I, I'd much rather follow my mess and get a view of the mountains than stay in the current, being dragged along by the current, round and round in circles, and crash into the rocks. That was your quote. I like that quote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, what would you say to um, what would you say the main challenge of being an entrepreneur is? Of being an entrepreneur is? Well, the main challenge for most people is that mm. being an entrepreneur is a double-edged sword. Meaning you have the flexibility to come and go as you please. And that's a benefit. But the problem is also you have the the ability to come and go as you please. <laughs> so you can watch one more episode of, of uh, Ellen DeGeneres if you so choose. You know, you can watch one more episode of whatever it is. You can play one more video game. You can watch one more news program. Or you can press the snooze timer on your, on your alarm clock and stay in bed longer. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that becomes very tempting. Not me in my house, of course. I don't have the opportunity to sleep, but <laughs> those people who do. You're an entrepreneur. What, what's that? What's sleep? Right, but some people do run into a problem, especially when we see it with real estate agents. Real estate agents have to hold mm-hmm. themselves accountable. And when you work for somebody else, it always has amazed me that people have always been willing to work harder for somebody else than they are for themselves. So when you start being responsible for working for yourself, they start taking more time yeah. off. And some of it has to do with the model of what it means to be an entrepreneur because our society teaches them that people who own businesses are lazy. But the reality is that's mm-hmm. not true at all. And I think that you of all people have had a difference of perspective over the last couple of years, wouldn't you say? <laughs> oh, I have. It's, you know, you got to work up to that point to sit down on the beach and drink pina coladas and, you know, and that type of stuff. You know, it's, it's very, it's a lot, it's a lot of work being an entrepreneur. But what was, your, uh, what was your, what was your view of business owners and entrepreneurial ventures before you met me? That entrepreneurs had money, you know, that you, you, you build a business and the money keeps rolling in. Which I learned that pretty fast that and that's not true. What did I have to what are the entrepreneurs doing for that money? I think that's the biggest misconception that people have. They think that the entrepreneur mm-hmm. is not working for their money. They haven't earned that. That they're 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 mm-hmm. paying their their employees to do all the work. Yeah. But even before that too, um a lot of a lot of the time when you start out being an entrepreneur, you start doing things, you know, free. You know, um, you know, you start to feel it out and things of that nature. And you always go back to the drawing board board because you fail. And, you know, you should look to fail to see, you know, where you went wrong. It's a lot of building and it's very stressful. You know, it's very stressful. Sleepless nights. As I say, I haven't cursed at a computer 
you know, before I become an entrepreneur, <laughs> but you know, I have some Yes, I heard you. I heard you many know, times that you uh, were crushing at the computer. Yeah. You know, entrepreneurs don't understand, you know. Um, it's not an easy route to take, but in the end it's beneficial. And there's a lot of dignity in that as well. And when you went through that experience, now you'll be able to teach others. You know, change the perspective of of, of the way um individuals think that really want to make this happen for themselves and their family. You know? So it's a good way to go. So, Ron, what are the three lessons you can leave people with about being an entrepreneur? Well, I wish I only had three lessons I could leave them with. But if I were to break it down to three lessons, I would say the first lesson is people need to really understand who they are. They need to go through mm-hmm. a, a phase of discovery where they get to really understand who they are at their core, not who they've been programmed to be, who they are authentically, um, who they were designed to be. And people have a hard time with that design word. But as you know, I believe strongly that we were all designed with a gift. The issue is that there's so much stuff piled on top of that gift that we never see it. Mm. And the things that we think are our gifts – aren't necessarily our gifts. There might be things that we're good at, but they're not our gifts. So I said that the first thing I would say is, you know, you really need to learn who you are. You need to go through a process of discovery. And that's why in our coaching program, I've designed our coaching program. So the very first stage is discovery. Mm-hmm. You went through this discovery process. What did you feel about that? It was a trip that I don't regret taking, you know. But what did you learn about yourself? That I could do it. You know, that I am more valuable. You know, I have a lot of value. You know, I just could 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 do it. Did you, you feel know? like you were bamboozled? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course, that's my word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah we, we all are being bamboozled. But you know what? At the end of the day, Ron, you could you you could teach someone something, all right? But it's the individual that have to see this true. That's true. And as you know, when I do coaching, I never I never force anybody to see anything. I, I show them the way and lead them yeah. down the path. And whether or not they see it for themselves is up to them. Mm-hmm. But I don't make any decisions right. for anybody because, uh, again, I'm all about making people live their lives authentically. And you can't live a life authentically if somebody else is designing it. You know, I'm trying to get them away from the monkey designing it. I don't want to then become the person who's designing it. I want people to be able to think critically, mm-hmm. think for themselves, and see what their strength is and see who they really are. Yeah, and that's and 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 within that, that's a very powerful thing when you could actually find it. You know, seeking you shall find. You know, and that process of seeking, that's strengthening each step of the way, because you have a strong foundation. That's fine, right? We need a strong foundation to to stand upon. The belief part, the the drifting part, 
you know, that's this very this very important. You know, you got to dig deep to know, okay, you're doing this thing truthfully. You know, you got to make sure that you're doing everything. You go to the core, that you're honest, that you're, you're you know, that you're doing it with truth because that truth vibrates to other people and people feel you. So doing, knowing yourself and getting to the core and doing that self-work should be focused on, I mean, how long it takes. Make sure that that part is, is done well. You are very valuable. So you got to make sure that you sculpt yourself well and then radiate to others. Truthfully, that's the only way it will work for you. You can't pump fake this, you know? So that's what I learned coming out of the whole process. Well, yeah, funny you should now. say foundations because the second lesson I think I would teach people is after they've discovered who they are uh, at their core, I would say they need to start working on a strong boat. And mm-hmm. as you know, when I say strong boat, what I mean is that life is an ocean. And unless we have a boat, a strong boat that we take this journey in, we're going to be spending all of our lives bailing that boat out. And if a boat is full of holes, those holes tend to allow water to seep in different parts of our lives. So parts that were once strong and stable, it can cause the, the boat to rot from the inside out. So we've got to be very careful with our foundation. And our foundation is made up of such things as you know, our financial foundations, our career foundations, our, our relationship foundations. So our um, there, there are seven aspects to our, our boat. And we're going to make sure it's strong because if it's not strong, and that's what actually we're doing right now in the podcast is we're, we're going through the financial portions of our boat to strengthen the financial portions of our boat, starting with the habit of saving. Mm-hmm. People are going to overlook the habit of saving. But they're going to do so um, at their own risk because there's no stronger piece of your foundation than the habit of saving. And I say that, and people right. have heard that before, right? It's a simple concept. You've got to save money. But they don't realize how important it is because unless you have a strong foundation financially, a weakness in your foundation can trickle off into different aspects of your life can then trickle into your relationships and destroy your relationships. It can just, it can destroy your career. It could destroy your physical being. It can destroy your spiritual being. It can destroy a lot of aspects if you allow it to. So it's very important to become resilient and aware of your foundation and the weaknesses in your foundation and continually strengthen your foundation and that's very difficult to do on your own because you're given a blueprint from the time you were young as to how to build a boat. And that boat is only as strong as that blueprint. But the people around you only know how to build a blueprint as strong as what they were taught. So you need to go elsewhere to learn how to build stronger boats than you've ever been taught before. That Just like finances, if you learn from the people around you who have nothing, how to build a strong financial foundation, what do you think that's going to do for you? You get a lot of opinions, and opinions don't matter. And you get a lot of 
of right. elite votes. That's right. You're going to get a lot of weak advice from people who are not qualified to tell you. Um, even some of the experts are not really qualified to tell you because they have a lot of theoretical knowledge, but not a lot of experiential knowledge. And they talk a lot about what they feel. I mean, when we listen to the, the um, how yes. well they speak, you know, that's this is very important. You know, you listen to what people say and resonate. You know, it's always how they feel. And what we talk about feeling. What we always talk about feeling. Well, feeling is not a accurate representation of what it is. True. This is true. Mm-hmm. Because what's true is what's true, what's observably, objectively true. Feeling is not truth. It might be the truth about how you feel, but you can feel and believe a whole bunch of things that are just hogwash. And most people do. And it's maddening sometimes to be on this side of the table or on our side of the table and watch the world self-destruct without knowing that they're self-destructing, not knowing that they have weaknesses in their boat. And nobody's going to point it out. And even if you do, the cognitive dissonance that they have and the confirmation mm-hmm. bias that they have keep them in a a, a systematic um, pattern of self-destruction. This is true. So – And I think the third lesson I would leave people with is don't reinvent the wheel. After you build a strong foundation and you really discover who you are and what it is that you want, find people who are doing that, what you want to do, and and follow them, model model them. Don't reinvent the wheel. Find out what works and just do it. It doesn't mean copy copy them. Yep, Yep. use your techniques, but find out Mm -hmm. what actually works. Because a lot of people spend a lot of time with a lot of theoretical knowledge and opinion or changing up what, they, what they've been told because they feel differently about it. And they destroy their ability to succeed. Right? What works, works. And it doesn't matter whether or not we like it. It works. So if you want to have a bakery, for instance, and your recipes suck, (laughs) (laughs) you better stop modeling people who have bakery uh, products that sell well. You know, if you have a bunch of items on your your store menu that don't sell, then you got to figure out why that is. If you're not getting people in your door, you got to find out why that is. Adjust to sales. That's right. And there's a lot of different areas that you have to adjust. Even with our store, with our shirt store, Mm -hmm. we have to constantly adjust the sales. Well, we we changed the style of shirts. We changed um, some of the designs of shirts. The shirts we started out with, we got rid of some of them. It's constantly readjusting and reassessing and reevaluating. Same thing with the podcast. Having fun doing that. I mean, having fun adjusting the sales, capturing the wins of opportunity so that it could grab the sales and we move forward. And every day, with uh, with the store, it seems that we're getting closer and closer and closer because at some point, entrepreneurs, a lot of individuals that tried the entrepreneur route and they gave up. When you get past that point, because you will get at that point where you would want to give up. But I tell you, when you get past that point, it's smooth sailing, well, I would say it's smooth sailing from there onward because they're going to have more more of those days. 
But when you get over that hump and know what you want and you're aggressive towards your goal and not give up, you're good. Don't give up. Just keep adjusting. Keep moving. And that's what I'm learning. Um, and I, it's great. It's, it's, I love it. You know? Love it. So, uh, Ron, I want to thank you for being here today. You can also get in touch with today's guests by visiting the link in the show notes of this episode. Peace. <laughs> thank you for listening. And join me next week for It Started on a Napkin. The Agricultural Model for Real Estate Investors. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to Apple Podcasts or by visiting our website at www.gonefishingpodcast.com. And remember, life is an ocean, a strong boat, your foundation. If you want to succeed, identify a harbor, unfurl your sails, sail outside the drift currents of social expectation, and let's go fishing. You've reached the end of another episode of the Gone Fishing Podcast. Connect with us at www.waypointmastermind.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter to receive our free tools and resources. This podcast has been brought to you by Waypoint Mastermind. Personal growth and support through collaboration with a community of like-minded achievers. See you in the next episode.